Hey, hello. <laughs> Welcome to How to Write a Novel. I am in Fukuoka, Japan now. I was in Tokyo. The whole reason I came to Japan is because my friend Brad is here for a year learning Japanese. And I was like, awesome, sweet, that's a good excuse to go to Japan finally. I was thinking about that too, of like, uh, before I had all these problems with my bank cards and shit, I was thinking of going to uh, South Korea or Hong Kong. I didn't really want to necessarily, I just thought like, let's just try to extend this trip while I can, you know, while I'm out here. If I sound a little out of breath, I'm climbing on a mountain right now, I'll get to that, but uh, fucking, uh, you know, I didn't want to do another 10 hour flight because the flight from Russia was such a nightmare. But I didn't necessarily want to go to these other places. I just thought I would for the fuck of it. But really, Japan is the only place I really wanted to go. And you can get a three-month visitor visa, and I got the whole three months. So, you know, I'm getting my as much of a fulfill. So I'm getting as much of a fill of Japan as I can. And I'm not necessarily that disappointed that uh, I've got to go back to Canada after this. Because really, the uh, extending the trip was just because I was afraid of the flight. <laughs> That's all, really. And even that, it's funny how, how you acclimate to things. Like, the 10-hour uh, flight from Russia was horrible. Because I was hungover and getting sick and just miserable. As I chronicled on a previous episode of this podcast. So the only way to get back to Canada cheap is to go to Vancouver and... Uh, to transfer through Hong Kong. So it's like a four hour flight to Hong Kong. So I'm like, yeah, hey, that's no problem. Then a big long layover. I'm not sure how long, but I think pretty long, eight or 10 hours maybe even, but uh, who cares? It's like compared to, again, Russia, where I didn't have enough of a layover and I missed my connecting flight. I can hang out at an airport for 10 hours. That's no problem. I don't care. I kind of like airports. Oh shit, it's getting real steep here. <laughs> Probably should have waited till I crested the hill before I started recording. Anyway, um, but yeah, and then a 10-hour flight from Hong Kong. But after doing a 10-hour flight while I was hungover and sick, the idea of a 10-hour flight now doesn't even bother me. I'm like, that's fine, man. <laughs> a 10-hour flight while I feel okay. You know, I mean, I might get sick before then, but theoretically I'll be fine. And that seems easy now. Like what used to be a scary idea of a flight, now it's just like, now that I've done it once, it's like, that's fine, no problem. But yeah, I, uh, I only really wanted to come to Japan because as a kid, and I was born in 79, so I was a total 80s kid, between video games and cartoons, oh shit, a bunch of hikers behind me, I'm gonna let them pass. But yeah, between the, uh, the cartoons and the toys and the video games, which, you know, you don't necessarily know are from Japan when you're a little kid, and then as you get older, you realize, and especially with, uh, I mean, cartoons, all my favorite cartoons were from Japan, pretty much. Like 90% or something. Video games, virtually 100%. Like, these days, uh, American and European games are in a much better spot, but in the 80s, American games meant bad games. <laughs> well, like PC games were fine, but console games, Japan ruled that shit. It was all Japan. 
And like I've mentioned too, I mean, I had a Nintendo, but I had a Sega first, and Sega games weren't even that localized. They were very Japanese feeling. So, I mean, that's, you know, when I have nostalgia for my childhood, it's all from Japan, basically. And when I think about these other countries, when I think about like how I went to the Netherlands, any of those European countries, I mean, there was like the Smurfs, wasn't that like Belgian or something? I had a good uh, dose of French because I went to French school. So I've got a little France in there. But it's basically just America because Canada is essentially America, you know, North America. It's all culturally very similar. And Japan. A crazy amount of stuff from Japan considering that there's just this tiny little island. But it dominated North American pop culture. And then when I got into my teen years in the 90s, I moved on to like anime and manga. That's still all Japan, big time Japan. And it's weird that it's like these other countries didn't, they, it's like they didn't try, <laughs> you know? Why would I go out of my way to go to South Korea? Why would I go out of my way to go to even like England, you know? They just didn't do enough <laughs> to try to connect with me. Where for whatever reason, Japan, it did so much for me and for everybody of my generation and presumably still now. I mean, just Pokemon and shit, you know? Like the generation that came after me is still very much in the thrall of Japanese pop culture. And I don't know why it happened, and I don't know how it happened, but it's awesome that it happened, and I'm glad that it happened. And I just feel like this country did a lot for me, you know? Even uh, to bring it into the topic of writing, since that's ostensibly what this podcast is about. This book I'm writing is very low-key, very uh, quiet in a way. And some of that can be attributed to, like... European cinema or European comic books where everything is a very still panel and there's a lot of open space. But what I really think about are like 80s or early 90s era anime before things got as frenetic as they are now. Anime used to be kind of slow a lot of times. Partially, I think, as a, a way to conserve their animation budget, but also just partially the culture. It was not unusual to watch even like a madcap cartoon like Ramno One Half. It was not unusual in the early episodes for establishing shots of just the outside of a house just after dusk and it's raining and they would just hold on that shot for a few seconds. And it's a little thing, but that's something that doesn't happen <laughs> in North American shit. And it always really stuck with me. It's like, that's what feels comfortable to me. That's what I like. And walking around Japan, there's really no lack of other fucking weirdo gaijin that look just like me. I might as well be seeing myself walk down the street toward myself. Just some gawky white guy with bad posture, <laughs> you know? But it's not coincidence that we're all here. There's a reason why. And then actually being here, you know, it's weird. Like nothing is like what you think it's gonna be like. Anytime I try to pre-imagine a situation, it's never that way when I get there.
And Japan is certainly that way. It's not, it doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. It doesn't look the way I thought it would look. Whatever this connection is that I feel to these old cartoons and toys, these people that are here walking around doing their day to day, they had nothing to do with that, <laughs> you know, only in the vaguest way. Maybe they're radiating something of the same sort of cultural identity that that stuff came from, but I don't really feel a direct connection. This more feels like, it's like traveling to Mecca or something. It's just like something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to kind of pay tribute. But what does it really mean when you get there? Who knows? It's just some amorphous feeling to yourself. There is no direct thing. It doesn't directly feel like anything. It's just a place. It's just kind of a neat place. It's kind of cool to be here. It's not super meaningful to me. It's not like I'm gonna uproot my life and figure out how to live in Japan. But at the same time, it does mean more than other places, you know? There's America, there's Japan, and there's the rest, you know? Like, culturally, those are the two. God, there's a lot of spiders, really big, creepy spiders on this mountain path. Jesus, yeah, there's fuckloads of them. Anyway, even more specifically than that, so Japan is like the place I wanted to go and it was really it. I only went to the Netherlands on the way here because I had such a bad trip there, such a bad visit the first time. I just wanted to kind of redeem myself. And yeah, getting here for whatever reason, it just, it does just feel better. It's more fun to be in Japan. I'm feeling more like how a vacation's supposed to feel, I guess, or like how a trip is supposed to feel. But yeah, when Brad told me he was going to Fukuoka to do this language course, I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't care about that. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to Japan because Brad's there and I know somebody, but I'm gonna go to Tokyo. <laughs> I mean, why would I go anywhere else, you know? When I say Japan and I think Japan, I obviously mean Tokyo. So I went to Tokyo and that was cool. But the upside to now that I'm coming to Fukuoka for a few weeks to visit, you know, it's not a small city, it's two or three million. And it mostly feels like Tokyo, you know, it all mostly feels the same. But the cool thing is uh, just getting a cheap Airbnb, you end up on the outskirts like in the Netherlands, how I had to go past a uh, field full of cows and sheep, but that ended up being one of my more favorite memories of that place, is that field with the cows and the sheep. It was kind of comforting compared to the really dense, crammed-in feeling of Amsterdam. Where here, there's these awesome mountains all around Fukuoka. It's like the seaside on one side and then the mountains on the other. And it's only like a three-hour walk from the mountains to the seaside. You can cover the whole city. But since I'm by the mountains, I found this little trail up into the mountains. This is my second time on the trail. The first time, I didn't know what to expect. And I ended up walking along this mountain ridge for like three fucking hours. I like walked along the whole edge of the mountain. It's crazy. And mostly it's just trees. You can't really see much, but occasionally there's a break in the trees and you can see the whole city, these amazing views. It's fucking awesome. I wish I could tell you how to get here. All I can tell you is it's Umebayashi Station. And then from there, good luck. <laughs> good luck finding the little obscure path up into the mountains and then it's, it's fucking awesome. 
But this feels good, like, as much as I liked Tokyo, especially when it was time to leave, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I'm kind of digging this. I don't really want to leave Tokyo, especially that little neighborhood I was in. I was really getting to like it and kind of getting to know it. But here, there's no fucking mountains that you can just easily get to in Tokyo. Here, I can just walk through the woods and it's like, ah, that feels good. That feels good. And I guess that's what I want to talk about this episode. It's not really about writing. I'm going to get back into actually making this podcast about writing right after this. I've got a whole little series of podcasts I'm going to record while I'm on this mountain trail that are going to come out next that are directly about writing. But this is just more of a life philosophy episode that I assume if you're this deep into this podcast, you're fine with that, you know? Obviously, this podcast is largely about me rambling and is not directly about writing a lot of times. So uh, hopefully this is uh, still within the purview of this show. But I kind of wanted to wrap up, I guess, what I was talking about last time because it really ended on such a sad sack note. First I want to say, so last episode was just this, this tower I kept seeing in the distance over by Ikebukuro. And I really, really miscalculated how close it was because uh, what I didn't realize is I was only seeing like half of the tower poking up over a ridge and it looked like a normal tower. And I was even saying during those recordings, like, how, how can this thing be this far? I've been walking for two hours and I'm not there. Still really far away. What the fuck is going on? How big is this tower? Well, it turns out <laughs> when I finally tracked down what this thing is, so it's called the Sky Tree. It was built in 2011, so it's just like not very well known yet, I don't think. Tokyo Tower is still what people think of as the Tokyo Tower, you know, the, not the Sky Tree. But it is bigger than the CN Tower. It is literally the largest tower in the world. The only freestanding structure bigger is the Burj Khalifa which is a lot bigger because that building is insane. I can't even imagine that. But it's number two in the world. So, so it's just funny that when I was like, fuck, fuck this tower. How big is this tower? This is absurd. And it turns out it's literally the biggest tower on the earth. So that explains it a little bit. Even when I was at, uh, when I quote unquote got to it, when I was at the river and I'm like, I'm there. Later I went back and uh, I wasn't there yet. It's still like another 20, 25 minute walk from there. It's so fucking big. It's so big that when you're at the bottom and you look up, it curves. Like it doesn't look straight anymore. It's fucked up. But it is really cool and beautiful. I did not go up it because I'm very scared of heights, which is another reason why I like mountains. Like up from the top of this mountain, the view is amazing. It's totally a sky tree type view but I walked the whole way up here, you know? If I fall, I'm just gonna roll down a mountain. It's just doesn't trigger my fear response. And flying doesn't trigger it. I don't know, just being in a freestanding structure, even in like a, the Sky Dome in Toronto, just being in a seat near the edge of the bowl scares the shit out of me. I fucking hate it. Being on a really tall bridge, I fucking hate it. But what was extra kind of pitiable last episode is how I was talking about how stressed I was about my passport and all my banking stuff. 
and how I wished I could just, you know, for the next two or three days that it would take me to get to the passport office, I just wished I could stop playing with myself. <laughs> so sad for a 39-year-old man to be like, I wish I could just stop touching my dick. I just wish I could not jerk off because I know it just, it makes me feel like introverted and with no energy and I just want to not deal with people. Where if I just don't jerk off every day, I really do get like a, a little burst of testosterone and energy and I just feel more outgoing and I just feel better. But it was just this sad realization that even though I wanted to take a break, I didn't feel like I could. I had no trust in myself that I could. And I mean, that's such full-on junky shit, man. It's just sad. And on that walk home where I was really exhausted, I missed the last train. I had just walked like three hours to get to the sky tree and I had to walk three hours back. And at some point on that walk, where it was like this such a mix of I was quite exhausted, but it was fun. I liked walking through all those neighborhoods at night and it's fun to just walk through Tokyo. It's just a cool feeling. And I was feeling like good and bad at the same time. I was feeling stressed about all my bank problems and passport problems. But I also knew things were gonna be basically okay. Like I had everything set in motion for the passport. The bank, I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I already had my return flight booked and I took out like a thousand dollars. So I mean, I've got like a thousand dollars in cash. Surely that's enough, you know? All I gotta do is pay for groceries for the next six weeks. If I can't do that with a thousand dollars, you know, but it's still, it's just a scary feeling of like flying a plane and it ran out of gas and you're just gliding. And it's like, well, theoretically, I can glide this thing in for a landing, but it's a very scary thing that I wish I didn't have to do. But I just started telling myself like, all right, like don't try not to be scared. Don't try not to be stressed. Just cry and be upset and just, I mean, <laughs> even just to tell myself that, it's like I wish I could. I wish I was the person that could just cry and get it out of my system, but I just can't. Like I get caught on the lip where I wish I could. I'm like, I wish I could just blat my eyes out. I'd probably feel better, but I just can't. It's like the opening is too narrow for my emotions to escape. But it did kind of help to tell myself that. It just like, just go ahead and be upset. It doesn't matter. You can just be upset all the way home, but you're gonna be okay and it's all gonna work out and you're gonna make it home. It's gonna be fine. And I think that just kind of helped loosen me up a little, helped uh, loosen up my brain a little bit from the grips of uh, just stress and maybe terror is too strong of a word, but anxiety that I just couldn't shake. And then I started thinking about that thing of like, how, like, because I think stating things out loud is important. Like even that, I was thinking like, should I just cut that from the podcast? That thing about how I don't think I can quit porn for three days? It's so, just such a sad admission. I shouldn't even mention that. But then I think back to like the episode I did of this podcast about Kevin Smith and why I've always respected Kevin Smith so much is he never lies about himself. He always tells the truth, no matter how embarrassing it is, no matter if it makes people not like him, he doesn't care. He just always tells the truth. 
And I just want to tell the truth. I don't care that it makes me sound like a fucking pathetic idiot. Like, it's more important to tell the truth. But to say it out loud, to say, to record myself saying, I can't quit porn for two or three days. It's different from just doing it, just having this, <laughs> this little internal struggle. Saying it out loud. It's like, I just said it. You know, I said it. I can't deny it anymore. It's just, this is really how it is. This is the situation. And in that state of just like having walked for hours and my knees were hurting and my feet were hurting and I was exhausted and I'm in this weird country and I'm just like, in that moment, I wish I could just make it stop. I wish I could just like cut the whole journey short, go fix my bank cards, get a new passport. Like I, every, I just wished it would stop in that, in that moment. I was just feeling, you know, like just uh, ready to give up type of thing. And still not to like a, an extreme degree. This isn't like somebody finding Jesus in prison or something. It's a very tiny 1% of that, but it was that kind of feeling. And it did make me think, like, to, just to say it out loud, to admit to myself that I don't have the strength, that I can't do this. And it made me think of, like, books I've read about, like, addicts. There's a, the, the band No Effects put out a book where all four members kind of, like, split it into a four-part biography. And it's really good, but the most compelling part for me was their drummer, who was a big-time drug addict, and his story of hitting bottom and going to a, a rehab center. And at the end of the day, it's kind of the same story you've probably heard before. But it's like you just gotta stop trying to carry this weight by yourself. You gotta admit to yourself that you don't have the strength, you don't have the power. Left to your own devices, this is never gonna get fixed. If you're gonna break the chain, you need some help. And the traditional help, the stereotypical help, is you become religious, you know? You fucking put yourself in the hands of God and you let, let Jesus take the wheel, you know? Let someone else carry this burden that you can't carry. And I think it was important that I was in this, like, in the overall situation of being stressed out about my bank cards being shut off and stressed out about my passport being missing. And even specifically that night, just being pushed to such a level of exhaustion that I missed the last train and I had to walk all the way across Tokyo. It took all those pressures combined for me to even think about this, you know, for me to even consider the idea. It just wouldn't have come to me because I'm just big time not a religious person. Like I went to Catholic church as a kid and I really tried to, to do it, you know? Like when we had our little Sunday school classes and we'd fucking read little comic books about Jesus and stuff and I was always like the star pupil. But as soon as I got a little older, you know, it's like, uh, it doesn't baffle me as much as it used to, you know? Like religion used to really bother me. Because as soon as I got old enough to start asking the whys, to start questioning things, there's immediately no answer. Not even close to an answer. It's not like there's even the beginning of an answer. There's nothing. And that just drove me nuts, you know? I hated religion when I was a teenager. And in my 20s, too. 
And it's only later that I started to realize like that's how it has to work because, and it's gonna sound weird to say this, I don't mean this in an insulting way. It's bullshit, it really is bullshit. Doesn't matter if it's Catholicism or Scientology or I don't know, Muslim stuff. It doesn't matter, it's all bullshit. And it wouldn't work if it wasn't bullshit, you know? It's like, it's not about the specifics. It's not about the actual fables and the actual stories. It's about that something bigger, that believing in something larger. So, I mean, you can't answer the questions. You can't have explanations because those will inevitably fail, you know? Eventually science gets to the Big Bang, you know? Eventually you get to the point where you're just like, I don't know, and you just throw up your hands. So religion just doesn't know right away. Right from step one, they don't know. And you've gotta be okay with that, or not okay with that, and I was not okay with that. I'm just not that kind of person. But as I've gotten older, I've started to recognize a bit more like how that can be valuable for people. A lot of people, maybe most people. There's something extremely comforting about, you know, putting your burdens on some spirit in the sky so that you don't have to carry them all yourself. So I was just feeling worn down enough in that moment that I'm like reaching back to like, it kind of made me glad I went to Sunday school and church as a kid just to at least have the ritual to know what to do as simple as it is like just to have the uh, The motion, you know to know the uh, The symbology to put my hands together to look up into the sky and to just like say I need some help here, man And you know like I just it's weird. It's like I I still I don't feel like it's real. I know it's just a a ritual that I'm doing. It's just a, there's a word I can't think of, but ritual will do. And I was thinking like, ah, you know, I do think this feels good. This feels like this could help. Maybe this is what I need right now. Maybe I've hit that point where I need to go through this kind of process. I need to stop trying to do this by myself. You know, I've got to put the weight on something else, on some other concept. And even though I don't believe in God, I don't believe in what this is, I don't believe in what's happening. But I feel like I can deconstruct the idea and it can still be useful, you know? It can still, maybe it can still work <laughs> on some degree. Like it's not gonna work as though I really believed. If I really was a believer and I really felt like I was talking to God, I feel like that would be a lot more effective. That would work a lot better. But even doing it just as a ritual that I know is just a thing I'm making up, just a thing I'm doing that's just a little a game I'm inventing, a little play I'm putting on for myself, but it could still be useful. It could still be helpful. This could still kind of work. And I was thinking like, oh, how can I kind of torque this or twist it to something that makes more sense to me? Because all the church stuff doesn't make sense and all the religious stuff doesn't make sense. But I started thinking back to like those old Japanese video games I played as a kid. Or to take the American example, like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I always thought it was weird in Dungeons and Dragons that 
there are clerics who can pray X number of times a day and get magical spells to, to happen as, you know, a favor from their gods. So you're in a world where you unequivocally know that there are gods. And if you worship these gods, you get magical spells and not everyone does it, you know? Everyone should be a cleric. Every fucking person should be a cleric on some level. Everybody should be praying to their god to get spells. If religion was that demonstrably real, everyone would do it. You'd have to be a true fucking crazy person not to. But I thought of it like that, or like old role-playing games, old like, you know, Final Fantasy games and stuff. And I thought like instead of just praying to a god in a conventional way, like even just that motion, like what I did when I got back to my apartment is I just like got down on my knees and put my hands together and bowed my head and just that, that pose of supplication, you know, that it's the same as like I was saying about saying stuff out loud makes it so much more real. And then getting in the pose, you know, getting on my knees, putting my hands together, distinctly asking. But what I asked for is I thought of it like an old video game and I was like, just, I need a protection spell. Please grant me a protection spell. I need to be protected against my own desire to go fire up the internet right now and go look at porn. I just need you to protect me. Just for now, just get me past this moment. Don't ask for too much, you know, just this moment. And it works because, I guess because in a weird way, all these years I've been trying to like quit internet porn, I haven't really been trying, you know? I haven't really been putting my all into it. I've been like, oh, it would be nice if I could quit, but I'm not really trying. But when you're on your knees and you're asking, you're deliberately asking for a, a little protection spell, and really you're only asking yourself, but you're asking yourself, you really are, you know? And like, I just realized that I wasn't doing that before. I wasn't taking it seriously. I wasn't trying as hard as I could try. As soon as I started to waver, as soon as I started to like, I'll just open a new tab and I'll just go look at porn. Like, I didn't really marshal all of the ability that I have to control myself. I wasn't even trying, really. And just saying it out loud and making the motions and making that deliberate request, it really works. And for the, whatever it was, three days until the passport office, I didn't look at porn. And it just helped because, man, it was so stressful at the passport office. All this shit about my birth certificate because I lost it at the same time. And it's like, fuck, man. It's like you... I got a notarized, like, copy of my birth certificate that I got emailed to me from my mom. And she's like a, a notary and a lawyer. So she, like, notarized it all and I printed it off. Not good enough. And without the birth certificate, I can't get it. I, I don't even think I could get a temporary passport. Maybe. But I may not have been able to even fly back to Canada without the passport. It's like I just assumed I could at least go back to my own fucking country. Like, what is going to happen here? It's so fucking frustrating and just so annoying. And it's just like, what the fuck with this paperwork? I'm right here. 
I'm right in front of you. I've got a scan of my old passport. There's no fucking way that I'm not me. <laughs> you know, there's no fucking way that I'm pulling some weird passport scam right now. But the bureaucracy is just insane. Man, I'm actually taking a different path than last time. I'm going even higher up. But already it's like easier. I did this hike two days ago. Took a little rest. Yeah, today I'm, uh, my cardio is not great, but I mean, it's amazing how much, how quick it can get, start to get better. You just do notice. But anyway, stressful day at the passport office. Finally sorted it all out and it just went so much better because, because yeah, my headspace, I don't know, it's just the way my own physiology works, I guess. But even if I jerked off the night before, it's not quite enough time for me to really come back to myself. Like, I'm just way more vibrant and exuberant and able to roll with the punches when I haven't jerked off. It's just how it is. So it definitely helps. But then that's what I was saying, how uh, this is a great little discovery and a great little thing. Just the, uh, the mindfulness, the willfulness. If I really want to make a change, it really helps to just say it out loud, to make the motions, to really prove to myself that this is what I want. But it hasn't just been smooth sailing. I mean, it's still a 20 year habit I'm trying to kick. More than 20, <laughs> 30. So, like, once I got all that stuff sorted out with the passport, I mean, that night I just watched a bunch of porn again. And now it's just kind of been on and off. It's just like... But it's not continuous. Like, it's already... That's a distinctly better... I don't know, the fact that it's kind of like gaps and breaks now. It's like, oh, two or three days that I, everything went fine. Then I looked at some porn, you know? It's like... It's moving in a good direction. I'm going to try not to make this whole podcast the fucking me trying to not watch porn podcast, because... I think it's going to be a very slow, long journey. Again, if I really, <laughs> if I really did, if I really was religious and I really believed I was talking to God and I really, I really think that would help. It would be, uh, this would go better. But since I am kind of half-assing it, you know, it's kind of touch and go. But I guess that's about it. I just kind of wanted to talk about that, wrap up that little thread a little. And uh, even though my bank is wildly unhelpful and claimed there was nothing they could do, and then they shut off my bank card. But then it came back on. So it's weird. It's like they sent me a message saying, Sorry, we might as well be robots. Nothing we can do. Your bank card's expired. Too bad that you're in Japan, but fuck you. But then it just started working again. So, hey, I think things are kind of extra okay. Oh, that's right. Actually, I wanted to talk about that. So I guess I'm not quite done. There's one more thing I want to talk about. But yeah, the little prepaid credit card that I used, that is expiring. So I still got to go back to Canada, no question there. But that's fine. This has been a pretty good little journey. But it made me realize what I should do. So I was pissed at this bank, especially before they turned my card back on. But, you know, because I'm just stressed and angry and I'm like, yeah, it's my bad that uh, it's, they're the ones who shut off the prepaid credit card program out of nowhere. It was supposed to expire in 2021, but they just shut down the whole fucking program. In September, I won't have a credit card anymore. 
the bank card is my bad because I mean I've had it for years I just didn't even think to check that it expired last month midway through this journey I just didn't even think to because you know debit cards only expire every like five years didn't even think to check but yeah the fact that they uh, were just gonna let it shut off really incensed me it's like what am I doing with this bank fuck this bank Scotia Bank by the way in Canada fuck them but also there was this uh, point in Amsterdam where my debit card got caught in an ATM machine for like 20 minutes and it wouldn't come out. <laughs> and I don't have a proper phone when I travel so I couldn't call the little number. And I finally managed to kind of pry it out with another card. But I was like, shit, what would I do without that? That'd be a troublesome thing. Can I get a backup debit card? How does that work? But what I realized, this is a simple little thing, but it took me... It takes these situations, I guess, for me to think of these things. Is I was like, fuck this bank. I gotta open a new account with a different bank, cause fuck them. But then I realized like I should open another account, but also keep this one, just keep a little bit of money in this one. So if something like this happens, if something happens with one of my bank accounts or I lose a bank card, I'll just have another one. Like if I'm gonna travel, that will really, What's the, the term for that? Where you never want to just have a single point of failure because then the whole fucking thing collapses. Suddenly I'd be in like some 80s Western Union commercial trying to get my mom to wire me money or something. So I'm going to do that. But yeah, one other thing while we're blabbing about philosophical shit. So I was also just like pissed. <laughs> I think like... There's like, okay, things are going well on the porn front. I'm doing better on that sense. But I'm just angry at this bank for like two days. It's just like imagining all the things I was going to say to this bank. How mad I was that they were just shutting off my card and not helpful at all. Their little automated responses and bullshit. But it's just like there was no solution, you know? I think this even... I don't know if everybody just does this. I mean, I think everybody, you know, runs conversations in their mind and stuff, but for two straight days, like, I wonder if that's part of why I gravitate toward being a writer. Because I just think of conversations all day. But it was like really grinding me down because it's like, I don't want to be upset about this. I don't want to wake up tomorrow still angry about this and still running these conversations in my mind of what I'm gonna to say to the bank. Because none of it's gonna matter. None of it's gonna work. They don't care. It's a huge ass mega corporation. And nothing I could say would do anything but, but dehumanize me, <laughs> you know? It's like growing up in Canada, our stereotypical kind of view of Americans is impotent rage. <laughs> Sorry if you're American. But like when you see somebody just getting angry in public, yelling at a clerk, yelling at an office worker, yelling at a police officer, yelling at anyone about anything, it's so pointless and so pathetic. And while it has a veneer of strength, you know, like in my case, it's like, yeah, fuck them. I'm going to tell them how much they suck and how much they fuck me and how angry I am. And on the surface, it seems like a strong thing to do. But it's not. It is so weak. And so pointless and so pitchable and so pathetic.
And it's just really not me. Like it was just making me so unhappy to think about this showdown with some middle manager in a bank that doesn't fucking care. And after a couple of days, it finally kind of like that wave crashed too, that wave broke. Where I thought like, this is not my strength, you know? Anger and confrontation is not me. That is not, I don't think that's really a strength to anyone. Like I think I mentioned before about like Mike Tyson's recent interviews, when he talks about when he was uh, on top of the world and having all these crazy fights and how terrified he was and how miserable he was and how like trying to express confidence and strength like that doesn't feel that way on the inside. It feels terrible. It's like what a terrified person does. And it was the same with me in this bank. It's like, I'm only this angry and I'm only having these fantasies that I can't turn off about yelling at the bank because I feel small and weak and helpless and pathetic and worthless. And yelling at the bank isn't going to help. And imagining myself yelling at the bank couldn't be further from helping and is making me miserable right now. And yeah, like my brain eventually just flip-flopped to the other way, where I was thinking like, you know, what is my actual strength? What is it that I actually have? What arrows do I have in the quiver here? And it's the exact opposite. Like if I have any strength, it's to be nice, <laughs> you know? When I was a little kid, I was real nice, except maybe to my brother, got in a lot of fights, but real nice kid. Even growing up, like, it's a dumb example, but when I got this job at a, a movie theater in the mid-2000s, that was one of my favorite jobs because I got to be a projectionist while wow, that job still existed. But I always remember the lady who hired me said that all the questions or qualifications and stuff were all very much extraneous. She hired me because I had a good attitude and we had a fun conversation. And she said, like, that's one thing she learned hiring people is you can train everything else. You can train people to do anything. It's not that hard to train them to do stuff. And I mean, movie theaters aren't terribly hard. Being a projectionist was medium complicated. But, you know, you can train people to do that stuff. But you can't train someone to be nice. You can't train someone to have a good attitude. <laughs> Maybe you can around here with <laughs> creepy monoculture. But in North America, if you're a dick, you're just going to be a dick. Oh, I just saw a rabbit. And you're high up on this mountain, rabbit. Yeah, or another dumb example, the job I had before that at this coffee shop, there was this dude, Jacek, who worked there, who was from uh, uh, Poland, I'm pretty sure. And he was a very brusque, rough... Eastern Bloc kind of guy <laughs> and everyone kind of hated him, but I kind of got along with him and Specifically, I remember there's a so this girl Erin who I did my first ever podcast with It's called Lageria and this girl Erica that uh, I dated while I worked there and they hated Yasek <laughs> and I just remember one day leaving the store and I was just kind of amazed because I was with Erica and Erin and I'm like wow, you know what? I'm dating this girl, I'm really good friends with this girl. 
where Yasek made them both fucking hate his guts. And I'm even kind of friends with Yasek. And like, I realized in that moment, I'm like, yeah, like if I have a strength, that's the strength. Being nice to people is my strength. And it is one of those like, I really think as you get older, those contradictory ideas seem so much more clear that like being angry and confrontational is actually weak and being soft and nice and pliant is actually strong. It's not something everybody can do. It's not easy for people, but I can do it. <laughs> and then I changed my little, my little uh, fantasy or whatever, my little imagining the future was like, yeah, I'm still gonna open another bank account and I'm gonna use the other bank account as my primary bank account. I'm basically gonna ghost on Scotiabank. They fucked me good. I don't like them, but I'm not gonna tell them. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna put on my big crowd pleaser smile and I'm gonna sort out getting a new bank card with a teller and I'm gonna talk to one of the managers and figure out how to get a credit card thing going again. And I'm gonna be the nicest guy they ever fucking met. I'm gonna smile and joke and be Joe personable. And it's gonna be fine. And that's how I'm gonna, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And that's way more what I'm good at. That's way more what my strength is. And it just took so much pressure off me. Like it's just amazing how I was so stressed in Tokyo about the passport and the money and the uh, pathetic anger <laughs> that I could do nothing about. And basically that I just washed it away by being pliant, you know? By like, I'm not gonna get mad about this. I'm not gonna get angry at the bank. It's just what happened. It's just a thing that happened. The mechanisms of this huge bank don't give a shit about me. But the mechanisms of this huge bank are also why I'm here, why I can just fly to Japan and get an Airbnb and go to a 7-Eleven and take out money and just buy shit and like, this has been a very easy trip because of the mechanisms of the modern world. So if they fuck me sometimes, it's just the price of doing business and I'm not gonna get mad about it. In fact, I'm gonna be real polite about it. And then with the porn thing, it's like, you know what? Just be pliant. Get down on your knees and pray for a protection spell. You know, don't pretend you're strong. Don't pretend that you have these strengths that you don't have. And everything gets so much easier and goes so much better and so much smoother. <laughs> and that's the lesson. That's the big lesson for today from a guy who's hiking along the crest of a mountain in Japan. So if you can't listen to him, who can you listen to? I'm like a fucking Buddha right now. I'm goddamn Zen. And I sound like my friend Scarborough dude right now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'll end with just one more quick little anecdote because man, this will probably be, well, who knows? I guess we'll see. Like I said, I'm gonna try not to turn this into the porn cast because I do think it's just gonna be a long, long struggle that will have its ups and downs and it'll come and go. And like to chronicle the minutia of it is not, there's no point. But man, so at this Airbnb I met, which is like a beautiful little place, beautiful view of the mountains from the window. As much as I kind of like the hostel, this is cool because it's like my own place. 
again, like just pretty sweet. It's Fukuoka, which is not the most popular place in the world. And I'm at the edge of town, but it's only $27 a night. Like that's really not bad at all. Especially given my weird life where, you know, this is just what I do. Like I'm not paying rent for another place somewhere else. This is it. It really makes traveling so affordable when you really double down on it. Like if I was in Toronto, it would cost the same amount. Anywhere I go would be the same amount. So it's like I'm traveling to these weird places and it's really no more expensive than it would be to just stay back home. Now, of course, I know that I'm a uh, shitty trust fund kid, so hey, I get that. But if you can figure out some way to earn money remotely, this is a sweet lifestyle. That again, only the modern mechanisms of Airbnb and credit cards and stuff make possible. So hey, when they don't work, it's still worth it. The upside is a big upside. But the internet went out at this place. And like I was saying at that hostel, like I kind of enjoyed when there was no internet. Not so bad. Really makes it easier to not look at internet porn when you don't have the internet. So I was like, that's cool, but also there's a TV there. So I was just flipping through channels and like, let's just fucking let the Japanese channels play and see what Japanese TV's like. And for the most part, Japanese TV's been pretty boring. It's a lot of local Fukuoka stuff, which I think is hurting a bit. I'm not getting the cool Tokyo channels. Well, they might also be boring. But it was the weekend, it was like 11 o'clock, and the, uh, the home shopping network suddenly changed to this fucking late night Tokyo show. There was a picture of the sky tree, that's why I stopped. I'm like, oh, look at that, they're showing the sky tree. And then it switched to this like radio thing. There was a dude and a chick, and then their guest was this extra hot girl who, it was just bizarre. It was total bizarre Japanese TV where she was just brushing her teeth for the camera in this weirdly alluring way. And then they faded in the face of the older man. He's clearly supposed to be like, oh, look at this. And I really didn't know what was going on, so I just let it play. And then the girl took her top off and she was just wearing like a bra top. I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then it became clear she was like one of these gravure idols where it's like, it's kind of like non-nude porn. And they cut to a clip of her DVD and it's her all soaped up and the camera's giving a close-up of her crotch and all this shit. And I'm like, what just happened? What the fuck? And then they cut back to in the studio and she takes her skirt off and she's dancing around. And I'm just like, fuck, are you kidding me right now? What just happened? And it, I just felt caught in such a weird spot where it's like, there is no question. If I had the internet in that moment, are you fucking kidding? Of course I would look at porn after that. Are you, I, I'm easily triggered. Very easy. So that was like a typhoon. It's like a goddamn tidal wave. You, what the fuck was that that was just on TV? But then, almost worse, it ended and it just went back to being the home shopping channel. And for like half an hour I flipped through channels. I'm like, was that it? What? We're just back to boring TV now? and nothing else was on TV, and I didn't have the internet. And, I mean, literally, it took me, like, I mean, probably, again, I did the little, I, <laughs> I prayed for protection. <laughs> I prayed for a protection spell. And it still, it took, like, 20 minutes for my biology to just, like, settle down and just to calm down and to stop flipping through channels and to stop looking around the apartment for the internet router, which is clearly not in that room.
<laughs> in the end though, yeah, just went to bed and it's like, okay, let's just forget about that and I don't have the internet and everything's fine. So yeah, I'm doing the sort of same thing as before where I'm not telling the people that own the place that something went wrong with the internet. I'll just see what happens. Just let it go. And now here I am, you know, it's like, it's not easy to give up your vices, but it sure is easier when they're not right at hand. Oh, then I was thinking there's a Blu-ray player in the place, but there's no Blu-rays. I'm like, there is a 7-Eleven near here. I could go buy one of those Japanese porn magazines that comes with a Blu-ray. But <laughs> I was like, no, just go to bed. And I did, I just went to bed. And now here I am the next day. Again, I woke up with no internet. And uh, so, I, cause even that, uh, at least, you know, it's real bad to jerk off in the morning because you start the day off feeling all sluggish. But I mean, sometimes it happens. I just, I have so little self-control. It's like, I'm, it's really pathetic. Which again, I, I think this is my window out is to just acknowledge how pathetic it is. Acknowledge how utterly weak and fucking helpless I am. And it seems like a good way to gather some internal strength. But now I'm on a mountain. I'm walking on a fucking mountain. And all these things couldn't be further from my mind. You know, I went and checked my email and my Twitter at the 7-Eleven on my way here. And of course, you know, there's nothing there. There never is. Not really. You could check the internet once a week and I think most people would be fine. I know I would be. And now I'm walking on a mountain and everything is cool and I'm just in a whole different world, you know? Like, I guess that's the thing. It feels like boring. It's like, yeah, okay, I know porn is like bad for my mindset and it's gonna scramble up all my internal biology and I'm gonna feel worse overall. But what's the alternative? Like the alternative is just a boring world and I feel like every addict probably feels that way. Like, yeah, I guess I shouldn't drink. Oh, I guess I shouldn't go to the pachinko parlor. Oh, I guess I shouldn't do this. I guess I shouldn't do that. But the alternative is just boredom. But once you get over that hump, I mean, yeah, technically, I guess this is pretty boring. I'm just walking through the woods, but it's awesome. Like once you get away from that, that feeling of the buzz of the like, the exaggerated excitement of your vices, this is the best. It's so good. I'm just walking through the woods, walking through the forest. Occasionally I catch these little glimpses through the trees of this insane view of Fukuoka. Fucking rules, man. It's just good. So there's my ramble. I don't know if that'll be useful to anyone out there who is going through anything in their life. Hopefully it was entertaining on some level. And now, if all goes well, my plan is I'm gonna do a little series where I did this one episode when I was in Toronto about gathering inspiration from music and how specific songs make me think of scenes from stories. And my plan is I've been planning it for a while, but my plan is to do a little series like that of three or four episodes probably about different songs that make me think of different scenes in stories that I'm working on. I was thinking of doing them today, but this episode went a little longer than I thought and now I'm pretty distinctly coming down the mountain. It's probably still gonna be another hour, but I'm wearing myself out with all this fucking blabbing. And I gotta be a little careful walking down this mountain or I'll fucking kill myself. So thank you for listening. Let's listen to Bleed It Out from uh, fucking Linkin Park. Cause uh, I mean, I'm sweating it out, really. That's another thing. Yeah, it's not like, uh, 
I mean, walking up a mountain, whatever, physical, physical activity, especially in nature, in the woods, it's just the best, man. It cannot be, it can't be beaten. If you're trying to uh, counterbalance, you know, the uh, artificial high of whatever, whatever weird shit the modern world has to offer you, this is the counter, man. This is the best nature is gonna get. And it's pretty fucking good, man. Feels pretty fucking good. So here's Bleed It Out by Lincoln Park. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Yeah, here we go for the hundredth time. Hand grenade pins in every line. Throw them up and let something shine. Going out of my fucking mind. Filthy mouth, no excuse. Find a new place to hang this noose. String me up from atop these roofs. Not a tight so I won't get loose. Truth is you can stop and stare. Run myself out and no one cares. Dug a trench out, lay down there with a shovel up out of reach somewhere. Yeah, someone pour it in. Make it a dirt ass floor again. Say your prayers and stop it out when they bring that chorus in. I bleed it out, dig it deeper just to throw it in. Digging deeper just to throw it away I'm